This is Concepts, where two pretentious sirs quibble over ideas that explain today's world. Phil Shea and Steve Rose. My name is Phil Shea. I am writing for MakeASkillJack.com, and you can find more writing by me at HittingAJack.com. Steve? My name is Steve Rose, and you can find more about me at SteveRosePhD.com, where I write about mental health and addiction. Welcome to the Concepts Podcast. Welcome. Today we're going to be talking about the ever-present on YouTube, if you're getting ads like I am, passive income. Passive income. The best kind of income. One might say, yeah, I guess it is probably among the best. Steve, what is passive income? I don't know. What is it? No. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's going to be a great authority to talk about this topic. <laughs> well, it's something you and I are both doing, so we have some level of authority and experience in it. We're doing it as a kind of a fraction of our overall income right now, but with the goal of it being the dominant form. What it is, is income you continually will receive on a regular basis without having to actively do anything to ensure that it keeps coming in. An example would be something like you invest a chunk of money in the stock market and there's a pretty good chance that you'll be able to get a dividend every month. So you just put the money there and you're passively receiving an income technically from that money. Now there's other ways to get passive income other than traditional investing and I think that's what we're going to be talking about here today. But does that make sense as a simple definition? Well, first, I want to say that dividends are not just returns. You can get returns on your investments, which is the appreciation of value, the increase of value of those things, whereas dividends are specifically something the company issues every X amount of time if it is a regular interval, and they just give you cash on top of the increase in value. They typically do this if they don't. Uh, I don't know. I don't know enough about this. We shouldn't go too far into that. So to me, I'm just going to say, yes, that's generally it. It's just income not directly tied to your time. Right. And I'm also going to distinguish it that it almost always takes a long time and you must provide some sort of value to things. And we're going to have to talk a little bit about business to do that. But there's one video we're going to be pulling from quite a bit on YouTube. I'll link it there. So Ali Abdal, he goes into breaking down different forms of passive income. Um, how hard they are to get started, how hard it is to get to the level of $100 per month, that's US, and how hard it is to maintain. So we're going to use similar metrics, pulling from his sum of data and talking about our own experiences. Yeah, and I think the interesting way to talk about this is the way that he's doing it mostly and the way we're doing it. It's, it's doing it through digital platforms. Because the traditional ways of doing this is, number one, investing in the stock market and getting a return. And number two, buying rental property and just getting like a passive income from the rent every month. Those two ways are really kind of the traditional ways of doing passive income. But what we're going to focus on more so are the digital ways of doing that and the scalability that is really possible with the new platforms. I'm going to add another traditional one there, which is business ownership. Because a lot of people, when they start businesses, start off by making them the bottleneck, the linchpin that has to do all the approvals or get everything done. And that means that you're an essential cog in the machine and it will never be passive. Well, unless you figure out a way to get yourself out, which is very difficult when the whole company revolves around you. So that is another way like buying businesses like Rupert Murdoch is the guy that owns all the news conglomerate guy. He makes tons of money without having to do anything because he's got competent people running the companies that he's doing. He can make dictums and tell them like, hey, you're going to say this, you're going to prioritize this, but he doesn't have to be there for the day to day. So yeah, I think this is another way. But again, whenever I talk to people and you are familiar with the guy I was coaching for a bit, 
he had the perspective that it had to be investments or it had to be real estate. Like a couple of my relatives are getting into that. And those are doable and that can be a thing, but passive income is, is often not entirely passive. There's often going to be recurring costs or recurring effort you're going to have to put in. And that's why he broke them down into different ways of how hard is it to get in? How hard is it to maintain? And how much effort are you going to continue to do? So we can talk about the digital. I'm also going to talk about physical because I actually have experience in doing that. I guess we could start by, I think my business experience and business background is a bit more winding than yours. So I can start by talking about my background. Sure. Do it. So I was stuck in Canada between Australia and China. So like I was in Australia, I was supposed to go to China for a job I had lined up there. And the Chinese government didn't like that a Canadian was applying for a visa in Australia. So they kicked me back to Canada. I was there for six months working at a call center, living in my parents' house, and it was not a good time. So I was trying to spend my energies as much as I could muster to building a, a business. And what I started with was, for some reason, matcha green tea, importing that from China, which was a mistake, and kind of doing what one of the books we've referenced before launch called Hope Marketing. I was just hoping that things would come together, though that was a complete failure. It was only like 500 bucks US all in. So as far as an education goes, that's, I'd say, worthwhile because I was able to gauge the market, gauge how much I could invest in this, how much was likely to come back. And while I didn't sell anything, I would, had I sold my actual product, I would have actually made quite a bit of money. Problem was in the marketing and the sales part. So Right. You actually got pretty far. Like You actually had like a box of branded and well-labeled matcha green teas that we were actually like going around and pitching to local businesses to keep in their coffee shops. Yeah, and that was a limit because we were in like southwestern Ontario and there's not that. I mean, it's one of the more densely populated areas of Canada, but Canada is not super densely populated. So the problem is that like there's not that much demand to support like a matcha business exclusively in that area. I mean, if you were to sell to like cafes and stuff, which I was trying to do, but that's again, the problem with sales is I was not very good at that. The things I did right were figuring out sourcing, competing on price, doing really good branding. That was the main strength, I think, that I learned from that. Yeah. And it wasn't even like all that passive either because it was like a physical product that you were like pitching to physical businesses. Yeah, but don't mistake that. Physical products can be fairly passive if you get somebody that's handling all the, like a manager basically, a logistics manager for the most part because I was intending for that to be passive. My idea of passivity for that would be I would order stuff whenever I needed it after reaching a certain stock threshold, then have a fulfillment center hold on to them, which is a company that will hold on to your stuff. They'll charge you for the amount of space and the amount of whatever pick and pack is I think usually what the charge is called. And then they'll pack it and ship it away so that nobody really knows like that it didn't come from you directly. So it's essentially outsourcing all of your logistics. So you put everything in one place, the orders come in online or from whatever businesses you have with recurring subscriptions with your service every so often they'll order and then having that just take off. I was hoping for that to be the ideal, but the thing is I wasn't really competing very much. I wasn't adding very much value. And in fact, I was probably selling an inferior product because just a heads up, matcha green tea, you're consuming the plant, which means that if there's any lead in the air, the plant absorbs that, meaning that you're probably ingesting some heavy metals you don't want. That's why you have to be careful with that. Green tea, just the leaves and drinking the steeped water, that doesn't have that issue because you're not consuming the leaves. Right. Do you have anything you want to add to that? No, it was a learning opportunity with the goal of it being passive. I could see the vision there, but it didn't really work out. And so you moved on to something different. Yeah. So then after that, I was living, I finally successfully got to live in China and I didn't give up the ghost of that product until I was a while there and just finding the time change and trying to make sales calls just wasn't really going. And so I don't even know what happened to all of my stock. It's just gone somewhere, I guess. Then I started doing, I found an opportunity to do an editing company. That was more just to get capital. That was fairly successful. 
successful and mostly seasonal. And that enabled me to start doing an Amazon FBA business, which I think I've referenced before. But basically, we found products on Amazon that were selling well and often sold together and could be improved upon. There was a key point, adding value. You have to add value to the thing you're doing. And Amazon FBA was fine until it wasn't, which was Amazon just randomly changed one regulation of one of our products, which meant that the entire bundle, because it was all in one box, couldn't be sold together. And that basically crippled that company because it took like six months to get everything fixed at our expense the entire time. We had to ship it somewhere, get somebody to replace it, get the replacement parts, and it just took so long. Was this the beauty package that you created? That was the second product we did. The first one was like a gua sha stone. But yeah, those are those things. The beauty package was doing really well. I think we were just starting to take off. It was just making two grand US a month profit and it was still growing when suddenly Amazon just slapped us and the company basically collapsed and kind of hobbled along after that. And that's when I kind of learned that for me, approaching these things, the lesson from this was like, yes, you want to compete on value. Yes, you want to compete on marketing and branding. And price is actually not something you want to compete on if you can avoid it because like a factory can easily undercut you for price. So I learned a lot from that and it was doing quite well. Wow, I didn't realize you were getting to two grand a month profits on that one, the beauty packages. Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of that would have had to have been reinvested in increasing stock and continuing to promote it. But it was growing and it was doing really well. How did they slap you? Like what'd they do? They just banned us from being able to sell because one of our products, which if you want to look into it, was a derma roller, which is a roller with little needles on it. People use it because apparently it helps with promoting collagen and breaking down scar tissue and blah, 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 depending on needle length. And after doing enough research and seeing what was popular, I chose, I think, 0.3 millimeters long. And I think, I don't remember what it was. I think it was 0.5. And I think Amazon changed the regulation that it would only, and this was without any forewarning, any word at all, they just changed it to 0.3 was the limit. So suddenly all of our stock was not sellable on Amazon and they don't really care. Like as a seller, Amazon really screws you. And that was the main lesson that I'm trying to get to here is if you're relying on a giant or any sort of platform to sell your stuff and exclusively that, you're extremely vulnerable to all these things. But we should probably actually get into talking about passive income because like that would have been fine had Amazon not come in and slap me. And eventually Amazon may have knocked off our product if we were selling well enough because they do that as well. But you have to be careful going into these things, how you want to build them. Generally, it will take a fair bit of time. It might take a fair bit of cost, depending on the model you're going with. And it is not going to be a get-rich-quick scheme. It's very slow. It's best, honestly, I would recommend doing it from a stable position and slowly whittling it away, like all the efforts you have to do. Because the problem is, if I were in that situation, I feel like I might be complacent. I might be like, wow, my income's doing great. Why would I bother? But you can retire early if you do this well and if you learn some of these things. And ultimately, you can have whatever kind of life you want if you can figure out business well enough. Yeah. And so that brings us to today where we currently are. We both have passive income parts of our business. Yours is actually a more significant chunk of your business. Most of my income is through services like counseling, but would you want to be talking about your current project? How about you do it first? Because I've already spoken quite a bit. Yeah. So both of our websites, mine being steverosephd.com, is something we've been working on for quite a few years. Again, slowly. This is not something that's going to happen over <laughs> Yours is much, much older though, because we didn't really figure this out until we found this group on YouTube called Income School. Income School. This is where everything changed. Like for you, you were kind of like tinkering around with these physical products and like 
like it not really working out, getting pretty significant results, but never really launching and taking off. Yeah, fate kept coming around and slapping me in the face. Like the editing business too was COVID slapped that in the face, but sorry, continue. Yeah, and for me, like I've been going all these years writing articles online since probably 2009. I've had some kind of a website where I was writing articles and I never really knew how to write the articles in a way that would rank well on Google. Every now and then something would randomly rank. It would just be like hope marketing, as you said before. What do you mean by rank and why is it important? Well, that's how people find your stuff. So when you write an article on your website, like how do you get people on that article? You can't just share it on social media every day and tell people to go read your stuff because that gets old really fast. Yeah, people don't like it. Search engines are really where it's at. And the two biggest search engines is Google and YouTube. And unless you're making videos, you're not going to be on YouTube. So writing article content, there's this particular way to do it that allows you to rank better in Google. And Income School was an approach that we both stumbled upon that really allowed this to happen in a pretty replicable, reliable way that just works. And since then, my website traffic went up to around 30,000 a month in terms of sessions. And before, it had only ever been at like a couple thousand a month. Wait, sessions or page views? Sessions. Aren't they the same thing? This is just going to be a quick crash course. Page views is the number of pages that have been opened up at all by anybody. Users is the number of people that have come around. And then sessions are the number of times a user has come there. So one user can come there three times. That'd be three sessions. Right. Yeah. So I would say, yeah page views would be the appropriate metric. And so I grew my website up to from like 2,000 a month just on accident before to around 30,000. And now I have a captive audience that I can pitch things to like services for counseling or other products. And for yourself, you, you really grew your traffic massively in the last year. Like what, what did you do in the last year? Yeah, so you were talking about the formula for their posts. I don't even know if that's particularly important. I think the number one thing that I learned, because I had a friend who tried to make his own website. His was on how to text women for some reason. I don't know why he chose that. But he was basically gaming the system. He would try to write things that would repeat the keyword he wanted to compete for multiple times throughout the article. And the design of the website was like black background with purple and fluorescent green. It was just hard on the eyes and it was difficult to read. It was not enjoyable and it just kind of padded stuff. But he was ranking quite well for a long time because of the system. But long term, generally, the main thing that Income School taught for me was their search analysis, figuring out what things are not going to be easy to rank for, what things are going to be easy to rank for. And the reason I was trying to get Steve to it's so important is because if you rank number one, which means you're in the first slot in the search results, when somebody searches things related to that topic, people don't go to the second page like at all. If you're not on the first two or three spots, I think that's like, I think eight or 90% of the people that are going to come there, you're only going to get the views if you're in the top few slots. If you're lower on the first page, you're going to get even less. And if you're on the second page, you might as well not exist. So that's why it's so important. And the number one thing is always you want to have very, very thorough things that are answering the questions that are actually being asked and not just opinion pieces. You can't just start spouting off about something that nobody actually is looking up. Yeah. Like before I'd write like really creatively titled articles like The Motivation Manifesto by Steve Rose. Like, you know, like with some kind of thing that nobody's going to be searching in Google. Like what is Steve Rose's opinion on, on And motivation? that approach works on something like 
YouTube where you need to have something that's eye-catching and an enticing title. But on something like a blog, nobody's searching Steve's motivation manifesto. Like nobody's typing that into Google. So they're not going to come across it. Nobody's really searching like what is a motivation manifesto? It's not going to come up. So that was the issue. We're really kind of <laughs> going off course on this topic well, this here. This is an important piece of it because this is the widest part of the funnel. This is how you actually get a captive audience. If you don't know how to do this, you can't do any of the rest of it. So the, how do you start? You you get eyeballs on you. How do you get eyeballs on you? You write useful content answering the questions people are actually asking into Google. More broadly, you provide value. That's the main number one thing that is going on here. Like if you look on YouTube, you find people that are promoting passive income. They're usually talking, especially the scammier ones, they're talking about like doing basically nothing, slapping your name on something and just drop shipping it. But Anytime a business has a low cost of entry, meaning you can just start without having to invest very much time or money, and it's got no barriers of entry beyond that, like there's no membership fees or certificates you would need, then it's going to be flooded with people that are competing because there's probably on very bad metrics, it's just going to be a lot of people looking into something. My sister was looking into, I think it was journals, and you can make them really, really easily. You just change the cover and then start selling it. And it's like, why would anybody choose yours? Unless you're already number one, if you're competing on anything else, it's just going to be hard to cut above the noise. So the takeaway we're kind of getting at here is how to get attention, how to get eyeballs. That's the number one thing. You need an audience. And that actually was the first phase of my business. And now I'm in the second phase where I think I've got enough eyeballs for the moment. More would be nice, sure. But I'm trying to figure out how to convert that into actual money, which is another, I did a completely transition. I realized my, my thinking about this because the business had expanded to a point where further expansion wasn't necessary for things to do well. Maybe let's talk about specifics because what I've been writing about has been mental health and addiction. So I answer specific questions people might be asking on Google, like how to stop an addiction, how to find motivation. You know, an article here called How Addiction Counseling Works, How to Change Your Life. Like pretty much you go into Google and you just start typing a question in related to your topic and you see what it autofills as a suggestion. And then there's a good likelihood people are searching that. And you check the competition, see what else is out there, what other people have written, and just write a better article on it. And so that's what I've been doing. And what you've been doing has been around Dungeons and Dragons and, and writing content around this game. You're right. That strategy used to be really good, but apparently it's dying. Another thing is like search engine optimization, SEO. The tools often aren't working with the search engines. They're just third-party people that are kind of speculating and they're mostly guessing. So I don't use any of those. My site, for reference, Steve said you have 30,000 page views. Mine, I think this month's going to hit 72,000. For me, I just basically was playing D&D during the pandemic. I had not been playing very long. I just wanted to learn more about it. And as I was playing it, I would notice that every time I searched, there would be something like Quora or Reddit or some other forum that isn't an authority and it's just a bunch of random idiots. They may not be idiots, but just being like random people that have no authority or necessary expertise are just giving an answer. And if that's a situation, then if you can make a site that thoroughly answers the question and becomes an authority in its own right, you'll get attention from Google and you can outperform them in that way. Steve, what are the metrics that Google assesses whether you're credible or not? Yeah, the acronym EAT, expertise, authoritativeness, and trustworthiness. And so you got to prove that that stuff. So expertise is just showing that you know what you're talking about. People, I think that one is more relevant to how long people are spending on the site, whether they're actually engaging with it, whether they actually share it, because they're seeing that you actually know what you're talking about. Authoritativeness or authority is about, do you have any credentials? Do you have any other people that are authorities pointing to you? So Steve in addictions easily is an authority because he's got a PhD, he's practicing, he's on psychology today. It's a bunch of things that show that he is actually who he says he is. And then trustworthiness, I guess, is more in, in line with that last point, who you say you are, whether you 
you're just kind of scamming people, whether it's something that people actually can put their faith in. And it's part of who's linking to you and who are you linking to. So I guess link building is, is kind of the background on some of this, but that's another topic altogether. Yeah, some people in this area obsess over that. But let's go into some more nitty gritty because like we're not really servicing the topic of the title here. So I guess I should say my site right now currently is making money from ads. And I feel like I actually don't really like ads. I don't really like the look of them. I'd like to cut them out. So I'm working on building out a shop with digital products. So I think we can start there. Yeah. So once you have your audience, like we've developed, like there's a whole like one to two year process here that we just kind of skimmed over in a half hour, which is like, how do you get eyeballs? Okay, now let's say you got the eyeballs. We got 30 to 70,000 people looking at our stuff. What do we do with it? How do we convert that to passive income? And ads is the number one easiest way to just turn it on. You just click a button, you turn it on, there's ads on your site now, and the ad provider is giving you a paycheck every month. Yeah, but there's a delay on those ads. Steve doesn't really use ads. I am much more into that. They will usually give you something called like Net30, which is business speak for after the end of the service or whatever time frame it is. They will have 30 days to pay you, and usually that means they will take the entire 30 days. So for me, for that original broker I had, and this is why it's been a difficult couple months, the original broker I had paid after 30 days, so the end of January, you won't get paid February, but you'll get paid for January and March. The new one I got, which I switched to, was net 65. So at the end of January, it wouldn't be paid in February, wouldn't be paid in March, would be paid five days into April. So it was a tight couple months there having to deal with like a half month from the first guy and a half month from the second guy. And then finally, it'll start really kicking in shortly. And then yes, month after month, you'll get paid what they owe you. Do you mind talking numbers? Because what you're doing is, is becoming somewhat impressive. I don't think it is really very impressive yet honestly for the traffic i've got it's not great they say for gaming stuff it's really easy to get a lot of traffic but it's difficult to earn money from it because advertisers want to know that there's an intent to buy so that they're going to come there to actually buy something and my stuff focuses on like core game stuff so like how this mechanic in the game works like how does fall damage work or how can we do this level of combat better stuff like that and we go very very in depth for that but that doesn't have people intend to buy stuff they already own the game this is mostly free resources so they can be very tight-fisted about buying stuff the price point for most products in this market is typically about five dollars us so it's decent if you can sell a lot of them but one a day is not going to get you too far so i guess for actual numbers it's about a thousand two hundred us at the moment monthly yeah monthly if i do nothing at all i earn about 40 us dollars a day which is barely enough to live but it's something if i go to like as i intend i'm moving to brazil at the end of july or beginning of august and gonna live there for a few months because there that money will go a lot further and this is why i talked about arbitrage before like monetary arbitrage you can go different places if you can work remotely and you can focus on building the business or whatever it is you're doing but as my dad points out you got to be careful if you're just going there to like relax and do nothing then you can be stuck there like the golden handcuff kind of situation because you can afford living in a low cost of living area but if you want to come back to north america or wherever it'll be more difficult if it's more expensive because your money won't go as far. So I'm going there to build the business further, free up more funds to reinvest in the business. But just be wary of that because you can get priced out of your own country if you don't continue expanding your business. Right, yeah. So $40, $40 a day US passive, if you do nothing, it's the check comes in. I mean, that's that's pretty decent for a lot. That, that could change a lot of people's lives. I mean, it doesn't sound like much. I mean, it's definitely getting there because like, if you're already low income, then this is 
maybe even doubling your income for the year. I'm not knocking it, but it's more like, I feel like it's a long way for me to get to be like comfortable in North America because I have to basically double my income currently to do that. Yeah. This is like your, your primary income source. But yeah, this was somebody's side hustle, like having an extra thousand dollars in your bank account a month. Most people apparently are like a couple hundred dollars away from insolvency. Oh, we should also talk about timeframes here. Cause like, I think I invested about 5,000 US into it, maybe around there, 5,500 over the past year. A lot of that was my own time and expertise also supplementing the income, but I paid writers cause they know way more about this topic than I do. At this point, I feel like I know a lot because it's been like 150,000 words or something like that written on the topic, which I've edited or expanded everything on it. So that enabled me to start making my own products and working with people to make products. But it took a bit over a year to get to this point. I think as of December, I was only making like 400, 500 and then switching ad brokers to a better one after I got to a certain size that pushed me up. And that's only been recent. Yeah. And so let's talk about the next part there products, because ads are an easy way to monetize once you have an audience, but products are really where you can start to scale quite a bit. That's if you're including courses as products, I would say. Yeah. So products could include something like you're selling a, a course online, you're selling some kind of digital thing, like a game or template or worksheets. What other product ideas might there be? <laughs> Game resources, text tones, backgrounds of stuff, icons for different phones. Like there's a lot of stuff, like just things that you would overlook. Yeah. Widgets would be another one. Website layouts, just stuff that's prefab. One of the guys on income school made like lighting presets or some sort of photography thing. So it's just a lot of small things that when you're doing your work or your hobby and you think, God damn, why do I have to spend so much time doing this or like figuring this minor thing out? These are things that you can make to sell because it is providing value. It's saving people time. And I guess ideally you would sell the products and then you can make a course being like, this is how I made those products. If you want to make them yourself, here's the information. And surprisingly, like you're not giving away the farm by doing that. Like by teaching people how to do this, it actually just makes you more of an authority and they would rather pay you to do it because a lot of people or to teach them because people like to have the kind of bespoke approach. They want things to be catered to them. Yeah. And so you're creating a product right now. What is the product specifically? So I'm making a collection of products. I'm starting off selling a bunch of things for like five bucks, like a dungeon or a town populated with people that are interesting and have notable areas with rumors, maybe monster packs, map packs, Stuff like that, that make it easier to run the game. And I'm moving towards a bundle where I'm trying to make it so that you can have the basic resources you need to pick up the game and start just like improvised running the game. So I'm trying to figure out how to do that because I think I can sell it for like 20, 25 bucks. And then ultimately when you get enough packs, you can sell them all for like, I don't know, 75 bucks or something. And you just keep doing that because like that's the beauty of making these things is if you make everything with a core foundation of evergreen, meaning that it will never age or it'll age well, then you can keep selling these things over time. So I'm making products that I have held to a very high standard. And then as time goes on, I'll keep having more and more products fill out. Even if I've got the first ones, some people already bought them, but if they have seen them, but haven't given them a shot or like were interested, but didn't want to buy one thing, if I bundle them with other things, then I can keep selling them and it will just never really run out. Once the work is done, you can keep selling it forever. Right. And now where would you be selling this? Like, are you on there kind of hassling people down saying, Hey, go buy my product. Like people understand sales in a physical sense really, where you like knock on doors and you sell something. How do you do it on your website passively? Okay. So for me, I just redesigned my website. It'll probably launch, I think by the time this airs, but I have my main page. I'm just showing the, the most recent products that have come out. But the main thing I've found is that I've been giving away some stuff for free and offering people to sign up for my email 
list where every week I write emails teaching about the game, different insights I've had when running it and different just random ideas. But there I often will do soft sells, like if it's relevant and I think it's a good example of the thing I'm talking about, I'll say, oh, and there's this here. And like I've also made jokes like if you feel like supporting me, donate $5 and get this free product, aka you're just you're just buying the product. So I just basically continue to provide more value to just write down my thoughts. And that's the spot where you can write the things you want to write about. Because like, like I said earlier, people write like a piece that they want to talk about that they think people should know about, but doesn't rank very well. If you have an audience of people who are already interested in that area, then you can write those things to them and they'll probably appreciate it. It won't rank very well in Google or search traffic like that, but you can still use it and just have like this tiny platform of people. Like I've got like <laughs> 212 people that hear my stuff every week and just occasionally buy stuff. Like Every week I send an email out and I might talk about the products or not, but typically that results in a few sales over the weekend. But that's, again, only for the individual products with bundles they do better. Yeah, so this is an important piece of it. Email marketing is really arguably the best way to sell. You could sell making an ad for your own product and putting it in your articles. So people will be like, oh. Oh, I do also have that, actually. You, you do have that. But that doesn't convert necessarily as well as the email list. Because an email list, people get to know you, they hear from you weekly. You can pitch something there or suggest something and these people are going to be way more likely to buy. But how do you get someone on your email list is part of the question. And now this is where the lead magnet comes in. And funnels. We can talk about that in a sec. But also, you're right that those inserts, I write some copy there that is experiential, tries to get people to feel the feelings that the thing will hopefully provoke and that will hopefully intrigue them enough to either read it or click through. The thing is, as Jeremy Sherman, PhD, that we had on earlier pointed out, there's the seven times rule in marketing, which is people go from not knowing you at all to after enough exposures, liking and trusting you enough that they're willing to give it a shot. And my purpose of doing that is not necessarily to convert directly, but to get people thinking about the product and to be introduced to it. Because if they check it out and then they hear it again somewhere else, and then on my email, I mention it, they're like, you know what? I think I'll actually give that a shot and they'll pull the trigger on it. But yeah, let's go to funnels and email marketing. So what are funnels, Steve? Well, this is the magic of digital marketing. This is where it's at. And so like, if you imagine what a funnel looks like, it's like a V-shape where the wide end captures as many people as possible. And then the narrow end, not everyone's going to get to the bottom there. And so the widest part of our funnels are our articles ranking well in Google. So we cast a wide net to get people onto the article. Now, out of those people who are on the article, only a small portion will sign up for the email list. And from the people on the email list, a small portion will buy. And so you can see there's there's like a funnel thing happening there. And you want to increase at every point along the way the odds that somebody's going to take that next step. And so from getting a person who's just casually reading your article onto your email list, you need to offer value. And that's what the lead magnet is. And the lead magnet for everyone might be different. For me, I actually offer a motivational worksheet. It's a, a simple worksheet that asks you four questions designed to increase your motivation to make a change. And I pitch that in ads in my article. So I put ads for the lead magnet. I don't put ads for a product. And so people are more likely to get on the list for a free giveaway. And then once they're on that list, you have to offer value regularly, weekly. And then from there, when you have a product, 
I don't have a product right now, but I'm creating one. Tell us about that, the product you're working on. Well, hold on though, wait before you say that. Just think about it. Like, what kind of thing could this guy sell? He's a counselor dealing with addiction specifically. Oh, yeah, ask yourself. What kind of thing could he even sell? What kind of product is he going to do? Like a thought journal or something? Like, how is he even going to add value to that? It's not easy. He's going to have like a nice cover, but then what? Yeah, I'm not going to be selling branded journals. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) I could. So, what could I do? Well, like, my favorite area of products is online courses. And I, follow someone named Graham Cochran. He's kind of the the guy for this. He makes actually a couple million a year just passively selling online courses. It's huge. It's crazy. Check out Graham Cochran. Love his stuff. I'm a big fanboy. I know Phil is probably laughing at me right now. I just find him very woo-woo. No, he's not woo-woo. It's more just like, he's always like, you can make lots of money. And he's more about pumping you up than actually giving you too much of like the actual nuts and bolts. So I find I don't need him. But if you are struggling and you're working on your own stuff and you're like, this is never going to go anywhere, then he's great for that. I just don't find I need that. Yeah, he created $2 million businesses just selling online courses. And what could I do? Well, I could create something similar to that where it's a course, but not a course like academic courses. Although I have a history of of teaching courses in university. Yeah, yeah, professor. (laughs) This would be very different than that because when you're making those courses, it's just for students that don't really care about the content and just want to get a good grade in the class to get a degree. Wait, before I move off of that, I have a friend who's currently an immature student and he's doing his second bachelor's and he's just finding that he's the only person that cares about the topic. Everyone else is just kind of like, they don't want to hear it. But yeah, you're right. (laughs) Sorry. Yeah, so when I'm talking about online courses, I'm not like, I'm creating a philosophy course and then like, nobody's going to care. You have to make something that's going to add value and and create transformation. That's where the money is made in online courses is you are selling transformation. You're bringing someone from where they currently are to where they want to be. Whether it's learning a skill, like let's say knitting, if they want to learn how to knit, you're going to have to make a promise and say, by the end of this course, you will be able to do X. You will be able to make a shawl for your grandma. Make your first scarf, like using two patterns. I don't know. Like you need a specific concrete outcome that they're going to be able to do and that they want to be able to do. That's part of marketing where it's a combination of a bunch of different areas of business. That's the problem with being an entrepreneur is you have to figure out a bunch of these things on your own unless you have the capital to pay people who have expertise. Yeah. So whatever it is that you are good at, think about your own skills out there. What is it that you know that other people ask you advice on? Like, is there something that people ask you like, oh, can you teach me how to do X or what are your thoughts on, I don't know, like, fishing like if you know something about wine i don't like whatever your your hobby or interest is there's usually some way to teach people that so creating a course allows you to offer value and then it lives on the internet so you record it once you create the modules you host it on a particular platform and then you just point people toward it through whatever your funnels are, and then it sells itself. So the question is, how is this different than YouTube? Why wouldn't you just do this on YouTube? YouTube's a really good way to do this. Instead of writing articles, creating YouTube videos that really teach aspects of the thing that you're creating the course around, and you can just answer questions. Like You answer part of that question in a YouTube video, and once you have a bunch of content, you assemble it into an online course that walks people through the whole process, start to finish, hand-holding them with worksheets and practical exercises the whole way. And so instead of 
watching all of your random videos and trying to figure it out, they can just go to the one-stop shop and buy the course. And so that's really how you do it. Yeah, I personally think you should probably add more value on there as much as you possibly can <laughs> because I find it it's a little bit lazy and people will do that. They'll take their videos from YouTube and then just put them in order, which that's not great business because you want to build a reputation of making quality stuff that people want to go to you for. And this is, I think, Kevin Kelly, I think it was the one who said it. It was the thousand true fans talking about how you want to figure out like how many people you actually need. And he speculates about a thousand, but people that are so into the things you do, regardless of what it is you're doing, if your name's on it, they're buying it. And you want to have high enough quality constantly there. Quality is king, <laughs> in my opinion, and you should always be giving as much value as you can afford to give. And then price it up accordingly, of course, but you also want to make people buy something and be like, wow, they're only charging this for it? Or maybe, I mean, it depends on what brand you want to go with, but that's kind of my take, like just over-deliver and under-promise. Yeah, and so you wouldn't be assembling all of your videos together and then saying it's the course or for me taking all of my articles and then putting it together and saying this is the course you'd have to do something different package it in a different way create new videos or i would create videos instead of written content and then also create worksheets that fit and then put it all in the sequence that just works and then there's a potential for having a consulting element of that where there's access where i can actually meet with people along some of this process and so whatever the package is it has to really add value and you always have to think about when you're doing those things again it's about passivity ultimately you only have so many hours in the day if you are offering a consultation element to it that's great and you should do that at the beginning because when you're a small business you can do boutique things that require a lot more time and investment by you but as you expand you're gonna have to stop doing that that's the thing that's kind of like the cheat for small businesses is you can do a lot more catered approach and make it so that people are like, wow, holy crap. And then as you expand, you're going to have to raise your price because you just have so many hours. So if people want to be consulted by you, maybe it's going to be $100 an hour. And then if that keeps getting too popular, then maybe it's going to be 200 250 1000 And just to the point that you're not constantly running ragged, you're just kind of scaling with your value to a degree because you're in such demand that obviously your price is going to go up. Yeah. Consulting is the best way to start. It's the best way to learn the market. And so it's, it's kind of what I'm doing right now in counseling is spending a lot of time talking to people about problems. And so I really have a good sense of what people struggle with. And that allows me to then create better content, which then I can create a product around. And so whatever it is, if you're just starting out, the fastest way to both learn and get instant money or capital is to do some form of consulting or one-on-one -on -one coaching. Yeah. Or teaching classes. Like my partner, she teaches knitting. I mean, you wouldn't think that people would pay for that, but they do. And they enjoy the company and the community that kind of comes with it. And eventually she'll start recording the classes so that she can turn them into products. And then she'll start when she doesn't want to keep running a certain course or maybe she's the only one that's selling it for a particular thing, she can start selling those things on her website so people can follow the videos online at their own pace. So you can just start by teaching or doing something on the side, probably going to only be able to do it outside of your working hours. But ultimately, over time, it should get big enough that you can start scaling back your job or outright quitting. But I would say to be careful with that. So I'm going to talk about just recapping the funnel things. So you start off, there's rain coming down. you got a giant funnel that's picking up the drops and kind of condensing them down. And then from there, you're running it through a machine where there's going to be spill off and it's not a very good fit. So like only a certain percentage of them are going to continue on, but a greater percentage than the overall rain, of course. Then you keep refining it down and down until you've got this very very dense, concentrated form of people that are really, really interested in what you're putting out there. And those are the people that you can keep giving content to. And every time you have something to sell, you can pitch it to them first or give them the first deal or get them to interact with helping make the product. But basically, these are your true fans. This is how you're getting them. You're finding the people is always the problem with business. Whatever your product is, there's somebody who will want it. It's just a question of how many people 
people actually want it and how easy are they to find? And that's the game right now is attention is the, the main scarcity. So you keep them going down these steps by giving them extra value and figuring out what it is. So in practical terms, I am doing the D&D website, right? We're starting to get more proficient with email marketing. We're still not great, but this is my experience. I give away two things on my site, one targeted at players and one targeted at people who run the game, Dungeon Masters. So I give away a free adventure for Dungeon Masters and a kind of handout that'll help remember all the shorthands and all the things you need to remember for playing the game for players. And depending on which one they sign up for, they'll get a different offer because I think they don't want the same thing. And depending on how people go through the email list, if they stay on it, they'll click on certain things and you can tag them, which will put them in smaller buckets. You just keep putting people in smaller and smaller buckets. You know, like, okay, this person really does like this specific vein of things. They like resources that can be theirs or like they like stories that they can use in their game or they want a bunch of magic items. I don't know, whatever it is. And finally, when you have them down to that level, you can see once you get to a certain size, you can say, oh shit, there's a lot of people that really want this thing. And then you can make that thing and pitch to them first. And again, with digital products, they will give a good surge of sales at the beginning, but it's hopefully evergreen and you can keep selling it indefinitely. So you can see how this takes a lot of time and you have to refine your approach and figure out things like a scientist. You have to keep saying, okay, well, that didn't work. Let's try this. And failure is not failure. Failure is only if you give up and you stop. But so long as you keep trying and things are moving in the same direction, you're refining your approach, you will eventually get there. Yeah, I think you sent me a quote like that today. Be the person who still tries after failure, after frustration, after disappointment, after exhaustion, after heartache. Be the person who musters up the courage to believe that a new attempt can manifest a new outcome. Be the person who still tries. I think that actually is one of my major strengths. And part of that, though, is because like the alternative has not been great. Like People will only hire me for either low-paying jobs or jobs that I don't have on paper the experience for. And so they just don't want to take a gamble with me. Yeah, he'd be working at a coffee shop. Yeah, basically. It just seems like a waste of talent, in my opinion. <laughs> Very humble of me to say. <laughs> so, yeah, I figure I got to just keep doubling down on this. People have offered certain approaches, but then you have to think about what's the time investment to switch to that thing, right? But basically, if you're in a solid situation or even a, a shaky situation, can you find, and I don't want to be Gary V hustle culture, but can you find a couple hours or even an hour or half hour each day to start putting towards this thing that you want to keep around that you would actually think, well, this would be a much nicer life if this were the thing I were doing all day. And eventually you can build that into something that you can live off of. Did you want to talk about some of the things he talks about in the different forms of it? Because we kind of superficially touched on things like that YouTube channel. He was in the greater depth. I'm going to link it. I think it's worth watching, especially in addition to this. But he talks about like YouTube podcasts, affiliate marketing, digital products, subscriptions, coaching, businesses as a service and subscriptions as a service or software as a service. I actually, we don't need to go through all that. We talked about at the beginning. It's just various of these things are easy to get into and easy to start, but hard to get any attention for or they are expensive to get into and difficult to get started but then later they're going to be less effort so like talking about podcasts not that we're making any money from this yet but they're easy to start but they're hard to grow because there's no real algorithm that's helping people find them which is why i keep being like hey tell your friends because otherwise we're just not going to grow youtube has an algorithm that keeps funneling people towards you for better or for worse because their algorithm gets you to be more extreme but at least you're getting some eyeballs towards you and he this guy on that YouTube channel said for him, it's it's more of a long tail effect, which is what I'm also talking about with the digital products. Once they're out there, they might get initial sales off the jump, but then 
over time, the sales will drop off, but they don't hit zero. They continue to keep bringing something in. And if you're still putting out good content on YouTube, for example, then they will attract new watchers with that. And maybe some people will find your old videos through the search option. But then if they like it, then they'll continue to go through your entire catalog and be like, oh, look at all this stuff, which gets you even more money. And that's how these things work. But again, that can take like two years of releasing a video a week. And that takes a lot of effort. Like even just doing this, honestly, you might be surprised about how much time a podcast takes to put out. It's like, I think three or four hours per hour of recording. And then there's the final touches and then there's the show notes and editing for content and other things. Just It's surprising the amount of effort it takes. And I hear the same thing for apps. Apps are incredibly costly and difficult to put out. Anything tech, if you haven't done them, just simple web design is difficult enough because you can make mistakes that make it look good on only one platform, but then different size screens, different size devices will make things look very bad and broken. And it's very easy to do that if you don't know what you're doing, but you can teach yourself. There are videos online, but again, yes, they will sell you courses because they'll be like, here's how to design a homepage in Divi, which is a thing for websites. And then they'll be like, but if you want to know more about this, how to be proficient in making basically anything you want, here's a course that walks you through every single step and tells you everything you need to know about all of this stuff. And so you can kind of hobble it together like I have. Right. We, we both have. Yeah. Spending the time hobbling it together and taking the free content, but it will save you time to spend more money if you can afford to. So that's the same with coaches anywhere, right? Like you can spend money and it'll find the ways to make it so you avoid all the bad habits. Yeah. And notice we didn't ever mention Facebook or Instagram and all of this because everyone thinks of like selling online it's like oh I gotta grow my Instagram following and put Facebook ads no but you can you can but that's not necessarily the best way those are supplementary those are things that are like helping you advance faster what we're talking about is content marketing on the platforms that actually get you the eyeballs the two biggest search engines one YouTube probably the fastest way to get eyeballs and number two Google. So writing on a website, on your own website. Okay, Google for both, really. And then the third best one would be podcasts. No, I'd say Instagram. Nowhere near the but other ones. I would say the reason we've picked certain things is because Facebook is unpredictable and all these giants, they can screw you easily. Like there's a lot of affiliate marketers that make a lot of money. And the thing is, a lot of them sell stuff through Amazon, whatever it is. But Amazon can randomly and without any recourse just destroy your company because they can change the percentage that you get from conversion. So like it could be like you sell a snowblower for 10% of the cost of that, which would be pretty substantial if you sell a few of those a month. But then they can change that to like, oh, only 2.5% or half a percent or whatever. And there's nothing you can do. So optimally, always, you want to have your own audience, which is why email lists, you'll notice everyone wants your email because they're actually valuable if you're actually an engaged participant. If it's something you want, then you're very valuable because they can speak directly to you. Marketers in the past, you have to spend so much money just sending out letters to people at random, pretty much, and seeing who would respond. And now it's like you can actually have people you can speak to ultimately for free as long as you can just get them to sign up. So my bottom line is, I guess, you want to have ownership over the people that are fans of yours. Facebook store pages are really bad for that because generally the store pages lead people off of Facebook. Facebook wants you to stay there as long as possible. So when you send out something, you've earned your audience, you've built it up, people subscribe to your page. And then when you put a release or do some sort of published post, you might only get like 20% of your people actually seeing it. You have to pay Facebook to allow them to 
promote your thing to everyone on the list that you built. And so it's kind of dumb. Like they keep cutting off their, well, I want to say cut off their nose despite their face, but not quite what they're doing. They're just making moves that are bad. They're killing the golden goose in some ways. So generally you want to be aware of that. I am currently very vulnerable still to Google or any sort of algorithm updates. I think I've done the best I can by providing value and answering the questions thoroughly, but who knows? Ultimately, Google seems to be moving towards having a better experience for the user who provides more comprehensive answers. So the best thing you can do is grow your email list and speak directly to your people. When you control that list, the algorithms won't interfere with you and, and you'll have complete ownership over that audience. That's the safest spot. I guess this is coming from my experience of constantly having <laughs> fate slap things down and be like, no, not going to happen. So you want to have as much ownership as possible. Even if you're selling it like an Amazon FBA business, like you're selling products there, even there in that community, they were constantly saying to like put little inserts in against the rules of Amazon to get people to go to your website and ultimately follow you and not Amazon. But yeah, you want ownership over these things. So we've talked about this on multiple levels. One, start with something that you have expertise in that people want to hear from you that they seek you out for. Two, see if it's something that is very flooded. I've heard people make completely entire websites that were making like three, four grand US a month on succulent plants, for example. I wouldn't do something like pets. It's very competitive. You need to have some sort of way to niche it down. Or fitness. Or fitness or cooking. But the guys that we follow in income school, they show that cookingforfolks.com, they were doing, what was it again? They're making recipes for large groups of people because most recipes, you have to scale it up and it's just ridiculous. doesn't quite work. To niche down your audience who you're writing for. Yeah. Then you have to consistently put out quality content with a website or a blog. There's something called a no man's land time. Nobody's seeing your stuff, which means you can tweak it to what you want and you can do it without having an audience watch you screw up because you will have many learning experiences along the way. Then as you start gaining momentum with if you're doing our approach with websites, each post takes about nine months on Google to get the amount of traffic they're going to get, roughly speaking. So you won't know if it was a hit or a miss until that amount of time. So you just have to keep plotting away, as they call it, Groundhog Day. You just find what can you do every day that just slowly moves the needle a little bit further ahead. And then once you get enough traffic, you can start thinking about sales of like converting your content into different things you can sell to them, either a resource that would be useful or a course or coaching or some sort of product that will help with the experience and own your traffic as much as possible. Make it so that there's no giant tech company that can squash you. Yeah, it's so much to condense into one hour. I think if we really link people to our favorite resources, they'll get a lot of benefit in the long term. Number one, income school. They're the best option to start out to learn how to build an audience. And we will probably put a link to their main course because they of course have one. It's called Project 24 and it will be affiliate link. If you're going to sign up, please use ours. Oh, I didn't know you had an affiliate link. And so number two, once you learn how to build that audience, I'd say Graham Cochran provides a lot of encouragement. So as you're writing to the ghost town where there's nobody there, he's kind of there hyping you up, showing you what's possible. So I would say Graham Cochran is a good second place to go. Third, I would say Jeff Walker in his book Launch. He talks about the product launch formula. So that's once you're actually getting an audience and he kind of talks about how to convert that into sales through, I guess, both an email list and launches. So I think he would be the third person I'd 
point to anyone else? I mean, there's certain people, it depends on who you are, because I think some of these things are really helpful, like The War of Art by Stephen Pressfield. Seth Godin would be helpful, I think. Cash advertising, as lame as the name is, and as cheap and salesy as the title or the cover of the book looks. Amazing book on copywriting and writing, uh, marketing and stuff. It's just spot on and gives you a lot of research into like how to write a headline and what headlines sell better and why you shouldn't do certain approaches. But that's neither here nor there. Yeah, I'd start with income school and then kind of these other things are like, what you would do after you get your content. But that's if you're doing content marketing. We're not experts in the other areas, obviously. We're barely even experts. Are we even experts in this area? We're experienced. We're, I guess, novice content marketers. Novice? Yeah, I guess, yeah. Intermediate, maybe? Intermediate? (laughs) I don't know. I mean, like, probably we'll break 100,000 by the end of the year, so maybe. I mean, not too many people can say that. Yeah. Anyway, this kind of was a meandering talk. I don't know if we actually talked about passive income super. I guess we talked about our experience with... How you get passive income. Yeah, but not too much about the actual thing, I guess. Eh, good enough. We just just come more just us shooting the shit. (laughs) Ship it. Ship it out. Yeah, that's Steve's, Steve's velocity. Mine's like, keep refining it, keep refining. Okay, now it's finally probably good enough, but yeah. All right, thanks for tuning in. Share us with other people, and thanks for tuning in. Take care. How is your little clip show doing? Your little show? Yeah, how's that little project? <laughs> <laughs>